welcome to another episode of the Global Storytime Podcast, where every two weeks I bring you a folktale from a different country or culture so that we can get to know that place better. And every two weeks, I also release an episode that focuses on learning about the country or culture from where that story was written. I'm your host, Diane Strand. This week, we're going to Cuba. To start learning about Cuba, let's do like we do in every episode and first find the country on a map. Cuba is an archipelago, or group of islands in the Caribbean Sea. I always thought of Cuba as one island, but in fact, there are 1,600 little islands, plus the big one that we all know, that make up the country. Directly north is the U.S. state of Florida. To the northeast is the Bahamas. To the east are the West Indies and Turks and Caicos. To the southeast is the island of Hispaniola, which contains the Dominican Republic and Haiti. To the south is Jamaica and the Cayman Islands, and to the west is the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. The capital is Havana on the north side of the main island, and it is only 90 miles away from Key West, Florida. The size of Cuba is a little over 42,000 square miles, so it's about the size of Tennessee. Its population is 11.3 million, similar to the state of Ohio. Or you can think of it as a little less than the population of New York City and Los Angeles combined. Now let's delve into the history of Cuba. I'm only going to take us up to independence because I don't want this section to drag on for too long and it easily could with all the complications between Cuba, the U.S., and the rest of the world after independence. But if you're curious about Cuba's history post-independence, I encourage you to find a trustworthy source that can provide you with some more information. We'll start with the earliest evidence of human civilization on the islands that started in 3000 BC, where archaeologists have found shell tools, grinding stones, and stone daggers. Over time, a distinct culture and language formed, created by the Guanajuato Bay people. In the next few thousand years, groups of people from the Arawak tribes who lived in South America and other islands in the Caribbean migrated to Cuba. They were the Taino and Siboney tribes who set up quite a nice life for themselves, growing cotton, tobacco, sweet potatoes, and corn. The Taino were the most sophisticated of the Arawak tribes. They built canals to keep seafood that they had caught until they were ready to eat them. They had a religion that believed in zoomies, or spirits of plants and animals, and they had a matrilineal system, which means that women were the head of the community. Here's a fun fact. The word iguana comes from the Taino, and then it was incorporated into Spanish, and now it is also part of English. Also, Cuba is a Taino word that means good place. Anyways, in 1492, the party was over, and I think you can guess why. Christopher Columbus, an Italian explorer, made his way to Cuba after first landing in the Bahamas and then in Hispaniola. Basically, he was doing a tour of the Caribbean, probably hoping that one of these land masses would turn out to be India, which of course was his intended destination. Christopher Columbus wrote to the Spanish Queen Isabella that the Taino were kind, gentle, generous, always laughing, and were probably the best people in the world. But that of course did not last, as it was clear that the Spanish were planning to take over the island. There were some revolts against the Spanish, however they were no match and the first Spanish settlement was built in 1514, where Havana is today. 
The Spanish were cruel. They would sometimes kill hundreds of Taino without provocation, as one religious leader wrote in his diary at the time. They also set up a system called encomienda, where the native people were forced to mine for gold or grow cotton and tobacco, and if they didn't turn in a certain amount of gold, cotton, or tobacco, their hands were cut off. Of course, at the same time, many of the native people were dying from introduced diseases like smallpox, and the Spanish began to have a labor shortage. Enter the African slave trade. The Spanish set up sugar plantations, as they did on other islands in the Caribbean, and started to ship enslaved Africans to the island. The labor of the slaves led the Spanish colony in Cuba to be the biggest producer of sugar in the world. This labor was so important to building wealth for the colony that even when the slave trade was abolished in 1820, it continued illegally for many more years. The wealthy colonial Cuba was often under attack on the coast from pirates. Yes, the pirates of the Caribbean were a real thing, although Captain Jack Sparrow was not real. I checked. The British, who by that time were also taking a stab at colonizing the islands in the Caribbean, most notably with what is now Jamaica, went to war with Spain in 1741 and captured Guantanamo Bay in the southeast of the country. This was called the War of Jenkins' Ear and started after the Spanish took over a British ship and cut off Captain Jenkins' ear. A few years later, the Seven-Year War broke out between Britain and France and Spain over control of their new colonies. In the U.S., we think of this as the French and Indian War, where the British and the French fought both aided by Native American tribes. But the war was actually much bigger and was partially fought in the Caribbean. The Peace of Paris Treaty in 1763 was eventually signed and Britain agreed to let Spain have Cuba in exchange for Florida. Over the next hundred years, slavery and the Spanish rule continued, though uprisings and a fight for independence and the abolishment of slavery started to increase. This led to the Ten Years' War from 1868 to 1878, and in the end, slavery was abolished, but the Spanish rule continued. And war, unfortunately, was not over. Next came the Spanish-American War in 1898. The Cubans had been asking for the U.S. to intervene and either make Cuba a part of the U.S. or help it become independent, as were other Spanish colonies like Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. After a U.S. ship mysteriously blew up in Havana, the U.S. declared war on Spain. The war lasted eight months and resulted in Spain relinquishing all of its colonies in exchange for $20 million, which is roughly $600 million today, according to some internet money time converter. I don't know how accurate that actually is. The United States had control over Cuba for the next four years, eventually agreeing to give it independence on a few conditions, like Cuba can never allow another country to occupy any part of the islands, and that the U.S. should be able to have naval stations on the main island, along with some other stipulations. And in 1902, Cuba was finally an independent country, after fighting for independence for over 80 years. And I'll leave it right there. I'm going to move us along to the languages of Cuba. The official language of Cuba is Spanish, as you might have guessed. Cuban Spanish is famous for being spoken very quickly, and in different parts of the country, they have different accents. The second most common language is Haitian Creole, which is a mix of French, West African language, Taino, and Spanish. The two most widely spoken foreign languages in Cuba are Galicia, which is a language from Northern Spain, and Corsican, 
which is a language from the Mediterranean island Corsica and is related to Italian. For those who follow the spiritual practice of Santeria, which we'll get into in a moment, Lusimi, a West African language, is used during ceremonies. And since I've brought up Santeria, let's move on to religions practiced in Cuba. Under Fidel Castro, who you probably have heard of, he ran the country from 1959 to 2008, religion wasn't outright banned, but religious people were not allowed to become members of the ruling communist political party. And since there was, and still is only one political party, it made it impossible for religious people to participate in politics. The government also restricted what religious activities could take place. After Fidel's brother, Raul, became president in 2008, he relaxed the ban on religion within the Communist Party. Current President Miguel Diaz-Canel also allows for religious freedom throughout the country and in the Communist Party. Still, there are reports of arrests and abuse of religious followers, particularly Catholics and Christians. But, of course, Spain, as the colonizer of the islands, brought Catholicism, and the religion is still very prominent. According to a survey in the year 2000, 60% of the population is Catholic, and 5% are Christian. 24% of the country is either atheist or doesn't follow any religion. There is a very small amount of people, like less than 0.1%, who either practice Islam or Judaism. And then there is 11% of people who practice Santeria. Santeria means way of the spirits, and it is more of a spiritual practice than a religion. And aspects of it may even be followed by Catholics and Christians. Its central belief is that there are many spirits who control nature and people, and that there is also one overarching spirit or god, Olodumare, who rules over the other spirits. It was brought to Cuba by the enslaved members of the West African Yoruba tribe, who then blended the belief in individual spirits with Catholic saints, as Catholicism was the only religion allowed at the time. Rituals like dancing, drumming, singing, making shrines, and offerings of money, food, and animal sacrifice are key to keeping the spirits happy and willing to help humans. And speaking of offerings of food, let's move on to the national food of Cuba. The national food of Cuba is not the Cuban sandwich, as you might think it is. But instead, it is ropa vieja. Ropa vieja, for my non-Spanish-speaking friends, means old clothes. And this dish is popular in other former Spanish colonies, like Puerto Rico, Panama, and the Philippines. It is shredded beef that is stewed with onions, tomatoes, and bell peppers. And it is often served with rice and beans. It sounds like a tasty and not too complicated comfort food. I think I'm going to have to try to make it. And if I do... I'll report back and share the recipe that I use on Facebook and Instagram. And now for the national sport of Cuba. The national sport is baseball, which so far is the only national sport that I have correctly guessed, with the exception of China's love for ping pong. Baseball made its way to Cuba in 1864 from Cuban students who had attended college in the U.S. and returned home and taught others how to play this new game that they discovered. A professional league formed and grew very popular. However, when Fidel Castro came into power, he abolished the professional system because he thought the large amount of money in the sport would lead to corruption, and in its place, he set up an amateur system. So that means that there are still teams and games and championships 
and there is a national Cuban team who plays against other countries, but the players do not get paid enough for it to be their profession, like it is in the U.S. As a result, many Cuban baseball players have defected to the U.S. to play for decades. The national Cuban baseball team has participated in the Summer Olympics since 1992 and has been the most successful baseball team in the Games, winning three gold medals and two silver. Let's end this with a musical fun fact. Cuba is known for its music and dance, as polyrhythmic music, where it's songs with multiple rhythms played on top of each other, was brought over from West Africa and mixed with Spanish flamenco and other European styles of music and dance. As a result, salsa and rumba styles of music and dance were invented. These types of music, particularly salsa, have been very influential throughout the world. One of the biggest Cuban bands, Buena Vista Social Club, became huge international superstars with their 1997 self-titled album. I love that album, especially the second to last track, which is also called Buena Vista Social Club. It's all instrumental and the piano in it is just so beautiful. I have to stop whatever I'm doing to give it my full attention. Have you heard this album? Let me know if you love it as much as I do. And if you haven't heard it, open up whatever music streaming service you like to use and give it a listen. And that is it for this episode of Let's Learn About Cuba. If you haven't listened to the folktale, Dear, Dear, Said the Turtle, that goes with this episode, go give it a listen. It's episode 14A. And of course, if you want even more information about Cuba or any of the other countries or cultures that I highlight, follow the pod on Facebook or Instagram at Global Storytime Podcast. And you can always email me at globalstorytimepodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please take a couple seconds to give me a rating or review on iTunes. It helps other people find this show. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in again in two weeks when we head to Indonesia. I've been your host, Diane Strand. Until next time, bye! De Cuba traigo el son ritmo sabroso De Cuba dulce caña y rico ron Café como rayo